Hello, and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm your host, Ariel Frame. And I'm your co-host, Kia Botini. And today, we're speaking with Zara Diab, a PhD student from English and Writing Studies. Uh, Welcome, Zara. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. Um, We're uh, excited to hear what you're up to. Uh, why don't you start us off with uh, an overview? Uh, wh- what uh, what are you working on? So, um, I, as you said, I'm, I'm in the English program, a PhD student, and I'm still in my first year. But once I get into my writing and research, I'm hoping to look at um, how contemporary American literature reflects and perpetuates rigid gender stereotypes that have played a key role in birthing a violent extremist group like the incels. So I'm hoping to touch on incels and a bit on rape culture as well. I'm really interested to know uh, what aspects of that uh, you're interested in looking into, but you said you're, you're going to. So at the moment you're doing courses or what, what's your, what are you currently working on? Yeah, so for my first two years of my program, I'll be doing coursework. Um, I'm currently in a course on intersectionality and violence and a course on uh, women in 19th century American literature. So both somewhat related to what I hope to study. And you mentioned so a group of uh, incel. Can you elaborate a bit on that? I'm not sure I'm familiar with the term. Oh, sure, yeah. So. Incels are a group of um, predominantly men, or or mostly maybe all men, um, who believe that they're owed sex from women and aren't getting it. And so the incels that I hope to look at are the very extreme incels who end up um, lashing out violently in society and committing um, mass shootings and mass murders. Um, so an example uh, would be Elliot Roger, um, who committed the 2014 mass shooting in the Isla Vista um, in the States. Um, or in Canada, in 2018, we had the van attack in Toronto by Alec Nassian. He also identified as an incel. Um, so yes, these men, although the incel group didn't start out the way that we see incels act today, um, it has produced very violent men who um, commit uh, acts of terror. Um, I guess this is a, kind of a, a a weird, seems like a, a niche group. Uh, it doesn't, I don't know if I've ever met anyone uh, who, who identifies like this. So, it, and I imagine, I mean, maybe it's just, I'm at, in my own bubble. <laughs> But I, I imagine it's not the most popular group to be part of per se. Um, where, where do these, uh, where do these people come from? <laughs> how do they, how do they interact with each other? So actually, the the start of this group is kind of funny because you wouldn't expect it. Um, the incel group was actually started by a queer Canadian woman um, back in the '90s, I believe. Uh, her name was, uh, or is Alana, um, but she started this group as a sort of support group for adults who are looking for romance and intimate connections with other people and were struggling to find it. 
So it was meant to be um, a support group and a place where people could feel safe and kind of like get advice from one another. But because this group was built for people to leave it, because once you find love, you no longer need that support group, the people who were left behind in the group are the people who had less luck finding love, therefore had a more negative outlook. And those were the ones who were greeting the newcomers into the group. And so the negativity kind of snowballed from there. Um, and we have um, misogyny and, and sexism ingrained in the fabrics of our society, but, and so it was, it was bound to fester somewhere, but with the birth of the internet and this like space created online for dateless men, it, it turned out to be, um, that's kind of where it snowballed and became a breeding ground for toxic masculine, hyper-masculine misogynist thinking. Um, and so it obviously moved away from what the group was supposed to be in the beginning. Um, and it escalated and escalated. And these groups, although there's, they're like individual men from all over, they had this community online. And so, they met on spaces like 4chan and, and Reddit. Um, I think the initial like r slash incels thread on Reddit got banned because it got so violent that they began advocating for rape. Um, and so, I mean, you can see the violent trajectory of this. And then eventually um, when Elliot, Roder Elliot Roger committed um, the mass shooting in Isla Vista in 2014, um, and he left behind a manifesto and a video um, saying that he was, or identifying himself as an incel. That's kind of when this like new violent extreme wave of incels came to be. Um, and so they, the incels kind of christened Elliot Roger as a saint. Um, and oh, on the topic of that, before the incels were like birthed, um, I would argue that an incel before the incels were incels was um, the Polytech massacre shooter. Um, if you recall, there was a mass shooting in, in um, the Polytechnic University um, and he uh, left behind a very violent anti-feminist letter. Um, and the incels of today, some of them will have um, that shooter, Mark Lapine, um, as their profile picture. And, and I think even one incel user has like the handle St. Mark Lapine. And so um, they're, yeah, they're just these men who have very violent and anti-feminist and misogynistic views. Um, are you planning on like talking to some of these people or, or do you, how do you, how do you, uh... If, you, if you're trying to like look into what they're up to and determine what motivates them, how do you, how do you determine that? That's an interesting question. Um, I think it would be beneficial to try and talk to some of these individuals. I've seen other people who are looking into the incels um, talk to some of them and interview some of them. And so some of that is available online in articles and things like that. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I would like to, if I could get to that point. Um, but 
for my research as an English student, I plan on looking at um, the more subtle um, or, or the way that we normalize, the, the way that we consume these normalized narratives of toxic gender roles um, and how those ideas are kind of what um, the, the hyper-masculine patriarchal ideas and expectations of the incels are. And so um, as we all consume these narratives and the incels consume these narratives, um, it sets up certain expectations. And um, in the case of the incels, I believe that in addition to other factors, including mental health, I believe that when such expectations aren't met in reality, it, it's frustrating to them. And that's a, a contributing factor to why they lash out. You mentioned some examples. Uh you mentioned toxic gender roles. So I'm guessing that we are non-toxic one. Can you give example of both? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I just think that the rigidity of like gender scripts um, can be toxic in itself because it sets up very particular expectations and expectations that people aren't necessarily going to follow because things aren't black and white. Um, but if we think about um, hyper-masculine traits and attributes, um, those are often paired with um, not being able to express emotion, um, needing to be more aggressive and things like that. Um, whereas if we think about um, gender scripts for women um, were meant to be more submissive um, and you know pious and pure and all that kind of stuff that goes along with virginity um, and so I think that when we put these gender scripts in play in terms of uh, romance and sexual encounters then that can be problematic because one gender is meant to be very assertive and aggressive and the other gender is supposed to be more docile and submissive. Um, and that kind of complicates the actual desires behind the individual people. Um, but I think if, if, I think even if we, if we think about sexual encounters and rape culture, these toxic gender traits can come into play. And the idea that, um, and this is very heteronormative and I need to, once I get into my research, I hope to, to introduce more um, uh, queer theory into it as well. But the way that we think about women as, as needing to be submissive and men as needing to be aggressive um, is part of the reason why we have this rape culture. And if we think about even like romance narratives in popular film and television and literature that we consume, um, there's always this idea that the male character has to, um, first of all, is, is always interested in sex um, and has to pursue the women character. And um, the the tradition is that, you know, she doesn't give in right away. Um, and so 
there's this whole like romantic story built off of the chase where like boy wants girl girl says no boy doesn't take no for an answer and chases girl and then she says yes and so it perpetuates this idea that men have to aggressively go after women and women's initial no isn't necessarily going to be a permanent no and that's a very dangerous trope to fall into um, it, it's interesting to hear about the the lens in which you're going to be looking at these narratives and uh, and and how um, how that's going to inform your you know uh, analysis of different media. Um, can you give us an example of a move? Uh, I guess uh, for English, it's going to be a book or a story or any media that you're going to be referring to. Somehow, the first thing that came to my mind when you mentioned uh, someone, a, a boy uh, pursues girl, girl says no, but eventually gives in. I, I, somehow I was thinking about, um, what was that movie? The Notebook. I, I swear, yeah. I, it's meant to be the most romantic movie. And yes, it's romantic and, and, you know, brings a tear to your eye at the end. But I remember always the beginning. I'm like, this is a clearly good looking guy meant to be seen as, a, as, as ideal romantic partner. But I feel like right at the beginning, he just doesn't really take a hint. It was kind of weird to me. Uh, so are, are there any examples? I mean, if not the notebook, but something else that you specifically yeah. had in mind when you were thinking about that, 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 that story that you're describing? I mean, the notebook is a fantastic example for that um, because it's meant to be romantic that he's just so taken by this girl that he like, he can't take no for an answer. And so he, I think he even like threatens to like jump off the Ferris wheel or whatever at one point, um, yeah. unless she says yes, um, which is extremely problematic because then he's like completely um, not considering her desire, and and it's kind of like a like a game and a challenge for the male character to quote unquote win the girl. Um, but yeah, this story pops up time and time again in the narratives we consume. Um, even thinking of like, I remember watching one episode of The Office um, where Andy is pursuing Angela and there's this one fantastic line where he's, he's talking about it to another uh, character, Dwight, and he's saying that Angela's giving off very strong vibes that she's not interested. But the question is, Am I interested? Because if I am, then I then I can't stop pursuing her. Like I can't take no for an answer. And there's always this notion of like they the the man can change the woman's mind, and you just have to be persistent instead of respecting her initial no. Um, but another um, television show that got me thinking about this way in the beginning was. Um, this series called Manhunt Unabomber. Um, and it's a docudrama that follows um, the story of how uh, the Unabomber, a serial killer um, in the US was tracked down and caught. And in the very first episode, when they're, they're having like a round table discussion about the Unabomber and, like, and tracking his movements, um, one of the cops points to like a six year gap in his bombings and 
says this one throwaway line that's meant to be a joke. And he says um, that we thought that the Unabomber died or maybe he just got laid. And everyone just laughs and then moves on with that. But again, there's this idea there tying um, male violence and aggression to not getting sex from a woman. Um, and that's a very problematic idea. And if we look at, I'm also into true crime. And if we look at a lot of the backstories of serial killers and listen to their biographies, time and time again, we hear people point to some sort of thing in their past where they were either scorned by a lover or we like point to the mother and it's always tied to the woman. And um, this isn't even just a thing in fiction. Um, Jordan Peterson uh, advocated for uh, sexual redistribution and so did an economist, uh, I think his name was Robert Hansen or something like that. But the idea that like, if we are so concerned with uh, social equality and like the just distribution of like, um, like, land and money then why not be concerned with the just distribution of sex um and that is extremely problematic because sex requires consent from both both sides of the parties who are involved and so um like these insults who are complaining because they aren't getting the sex is just um, obviously a very um, concerning argument. And that's also the reason why um, in 2018, when Alec Manassian drove the van and, and killed all these people, um, one of the journalists, I was reading her article, I think her name was Rebecca Solnit. Um, she pointed out that um, an initial reaction was sympathy um, for this man because he was lonely and not getting the sex he thought he deserved. And this trope is seen um, in our film, in our television, and in the literary canon, um, this like continued idea of like us sympathizing with the pining white male. Um, we see it in The Great Gatsby, we see it in Hamlet, who, you know, one of the reasons we point to his frustration is, is him not getting um, intimate with Ophelia. Um, and yeah, it just pops up time and time again. And so um, there's this idea ingrained within us that we need to sympathize with this pining white male. Um, philosopher Kate Mann came up with this term uh, called empathy. Um, to describe this sympathy for the man. Um, it seems like you're you're going to be pulling from uh, quite a, a diverse media. Uh, you're you're going all over. You're going from 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 narratives that were um, you know uh, historical, current, uh, and and even even uh, uh, you know popular figures who paint narratives in, in their punditry of sorts. Uh, so um, it's going to be quite, quite, uh, quite a, quite a large project. You've got uh, an undertaking there. Um, I, I'm wondering, uh, is, are you, is your research, I mean, I know you're, you know, just a, uh, 
in the planning phase at the moment, but do you plan to, to, to keep it just descriptive as you're going to describe, you know, these, these different narratives and, and draw the parallels where you intend to draw them? Uh, or you also want to uh, make a, a prescription as well at the end and say, well, well, now that we can see all this and, and, and maybe put, and, and infer there's, there's harm in this being there, uh, here's, here's what we should do in the future with, uh, with narratives. Are you, are you planning on doing something like that? Yeah, I hope so. Um, I initially got into this research idea when I was um, researching rape culture um, as a way for me to cope with my own experiences. Um, and so um, as I was angrily researching rape color, culture, it kind of bled into incels because this is the worst of, of rape culture manifested. Um, and so my hope in researching these rigid gender stereotypes and showing how it can create something as violent as the incels that I can also talk about how we need to work on reframing our thinking and um, hopefully that could contribute to combating um, our behaviors and thoughts that contribute to rape culture as well. So you're basically um, saying that we need more a program to educate people on that program, but education, a more way to let people know how to interact, I guess. Yeah, I think um, I think that we I think that currently we are lacking programs that um, educate all people, people of all genders on sexual violence and rape culture. Um, and so I going forward, I hope to see that we have more programs that um, cater to men as well, um, because there are a lot catering to women and, and non-binary folk um, in terms of how to, you know, equip yourself so that you can be prepared to battle sexual violence, um, but there isn't anything geared toward the largest population of sexually violent perpetrators who happen to be men. Um, and so my hope in pursuing this line of research is to look at the ways um, that we consume these toxic narratives that contribute to rape culture. Um, and so once we can point to those toxic elements in our everyday way of thinking and the things that have been normalized and ingrained within our society, then I hope that we can be begin to also be conscious of it and dismantle them. And so um, it, ideally um, we could come up with ways to educate and unlearn the things that currently contribute to our rape culture and educate people of all genders and not just um, women. It's something I was wondering uh, from your learning from uh, yeah, from your experience, is this rape culture of this gender biased uh, toxic development, is that something that we that developed in our society very recently or is it something we already had long before and then just 
become prominent because of social media or is it something that people start to progress on because we talk more about it it's how does it evolve on a historical point of view um i think that these toxic gender norms have been around for a really long time um in my 19th century american women's literature course uh we were discussing the something that was called uh, the cult of true womanhood or the cult of domesticity and it basically outlines the ways that women are supposed to act to be true women um including being you know submissive and pure and pious and domestic and all that um while also outlining the way that men don't have to be all these things because men are above that but also at the same time contradictory contradictorily um not capable of that it's a weird article but um the point being that these gender scripts and roles and stereotypes have been around for a really long time and even though we've evolved in many ways in society those kinds of ideas were there when we built our current social systems and so they do still exist because they're there at the roots um but i do i do see that like especially with the me too movement that we are moving forward um also with um last year i think it was may 2020 um we in canada we charged we gave a terrorism charge to an insult attack and that was the first time that we gave a terrorist charge to um, an attack that wasn't uh, religiously motivated and the first time in the world that a terrorism charge was applied to an incel. So like we are making steps forward, um, but there are a lot, of, a lot of steps we still need to take um, to combat this fully. Um, but the rise of the Me Too movement has been very helpful in that. Um, and I was recently listening to a podcast actually that was talking about, um, the Me Too movement and how specifically this one playwright, Israel, uh, Horowitz, he, um, 20 years before the Me Too movement happened, uh, a bunch of women came out, uh, accusing him of, of sexual assault. Um, and they were just kind of hushed up. And then when the Me Too movement happened in 2017, um, women came forward again about Israel Horowitz and then they were finally listened to. And um, the podcast was saying that they think it's because of um, the election of Trump and because, uh, and that kind of served as a trigger for people to take action because someone so overtly misogynistic and sexist was elected as president. Um, people felt like they had to act. And so that's when Me Too really got big because um, the woman who started the Me Too um, phrase actually started it in 2006, but it didn't get big until 2017. And, and I think that's because of the election of Trump and it really like set off that anger and that need to have action. And so I think if we can hold on to that feeling and, and run with it, then we can continue making good strides. Well, thanks, thanks, Sarah, for telling us about your, uh, your plans. It sounds like you've got uh, a lot of media to consume. You're gonna have to go through and, 
analyze all these all these uh, narratives. Um, and it sounds like you, uh, uh, it's going to be quite interesting uh, what's going to come of that, 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 that analysis at the end and, um, the impact. I mean, there, there might be some real world impact with, uh, with what you produce in the end. So I'm interested to see, see what you produce. If others are interested in seeing what you're up to over the years, uh, where could they find you on the interwebs? Um, so my Instagram and Facebook are just my name, Zara Diab, Z-A-R-A-D-I-A-B. Um, but people can also email me at my Western email um, if they have anything they would like to contact me about. And my Western email is Z-D-I-A-B at uwo.ca. Okay, well, thanks. Thanks for coming on, Zara. Thank you for having me. This is great. This has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Ariel Frame. My co-host was Claire Bettini. We've been speaking with Zara Diab, and this episode was produced by Laura Minos Spina. If you'd like to get involved with the show, get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. Um, you can follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Gradcast Radio. Um, we're also on the radio, Radio Western, 94.9 FM. And all our episodes are archived on gradcast.ca, our website. Um, we're available on all podcast apps, Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, wherever. Uh, and certain episodes are available in video format on YouTube at Gradcast Radio as well. Thank you for listening. Have a good night.